Hello and welcome. My name is Adam Barnard, and on behalf of GateWorld.net, I'm here with actor Philip Alexander, who plays Captain Beale in Stargate Origins. Philip, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So this might be a surprise to some people. It's a surprise to me. You are actually not British. No. <laughs> right? It's so convincing. I was expecting to be calling across the pond, maybe someone who even lived in, in London or was like a proper theater actor. And, yeah. and you're American, correct? Yes, I am. I'm American. Uh, I was raised kind of overseas. Uh, my, my dad uh, was a diplomat, so I, I, I moved around a lot as a kid. In, in the Middle East and in Europe, but I actually trained in London um, at a school called uh, Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, which is where guys like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, David Yellowo, um, Ruth Wilson all went. So it was, it was um, so maybe I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> so you got, you got some of the influence maybe with the training. Yeah. And I, and I made it a, a real, point during my training we had we had a fantastic department at lambda and a lot of our training was in dialect coaching because especially in england there are so many different dialects right regionally that that it's very important to to have a well-rounded career to be able to do things like glaswegian or you know obviously rp sort of standard english standard british english uh, London, you know, Belfast, West Irish, all, all those kinds of accents so that was you know ingrained into the students and then i made it a point while there to be able to do one as, as, as well as possible. So I would like do it for weeks at a time and just have my, cause I was you know one of the few Americans there. And so the, I'd have my British friends critique me and they'd say like, <laughs> no, that's not it. You're not getting it today. <laughs> and I'd go, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, that's, that's why I'm annoying you by doing this. It's interesting. You mentioned that about dialects. Cause I grew up in the South and everyone who tried to do a British accent there failed dramatically because they had this very static one note impression of like, Oh, hello. How are you doing? Like, right. you know, they didn't really My understand the variety and they always move their voice up an octave. Like that was just a oh, natural yeah. thing to do. And that's not how you're supposed to do it. So it's interesting that you, that you bring up how many different variations there are regionally. Yeah, there's there's a huge variation, and it's something that um, is is very much being acknowledged and supported in England as well. The kind of a move towards more regional stories, because what happens when you have a standard, you know, you have the standard British English RP that was sort of invented. Uh, it's like it's they call it BBC English, right? Like it's it was it was made sort of standardized, and it kind of comes from nowhere. Uh, so. So in, in that sense, some some sort of regional voices are lost and become sort of marginalized. And that's why there's a really cool movement of, of saying, you know, we want stories from, from all over the country uh, because, because the, the, the lives of the people who speak different dialects, the, the, that's very much a part of their culture. There's certain reasons and, and, and genealogies to, to how these accents formed. So it's, it's, it's really cool and it's a great experience to be able to learn about that. So you said when you were growing up, you actually traveled and ostensibly lived over uh, internationally for certain periods of time. Is that correct? That's correct. Did that at all influence um, or at all tie into your character? Because I know the character of Beale is stationed at an African outpost. So did you find some kind of kindred connection to that? Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said for being a bit uncomfortable in a in a in a situation where. You're given because obviously, as a diplomat, privileges and uh, 
benefits are, are given to you that maybe people, local people don't even have. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I think there's a dis, maybe there was a discomfort there always of being, Oh, I'm, I'm from another country and I'm sort of a tourist here unless I really choose to get involved in the culture and I'll never really be from that place, but it, it did encourage me to always as a young person and then later in life to, to, to try to find commonalities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With anyone that I met. Um, and I think Beale is acutely aware of that. Well, sometimes he is, it would be great to, to sort of see what would, you know, how him and Wasif met and their sort of relationship up until then. But I think it was pretty well established. You know, Beale thinks he, he knows it all. Certainly. And, and Wasif has to remind him, you, you don't, um, you don't even know things about me. That's kind of so. It's, there's a presumptuousness to it. Um, yeah, which is a helpful thing to have. So, what was it like portraying a character from a specific period in time, like a, a World War II era character? Um, and specifically, what region um, did he have any backstory, or how did you approach him from like an accent and culture perspective? I think Beale is from a well-to-do family. Yeah, maybe not too well-to-do. My backstory for him was was drawn on history. I mean, I, I studied history and uh, anthropology in, in university. And so I sort of drew on those research methods to, to look into what it was like. Because, because it was a very different pre-war British army was, was not ready, right? It was a different system sure. than, yeah. than certainly when it ramped up like in the you know, late 30s and early 40s. Right. Um, so the people that were sort of career military guys were often – uh, commissioned and there wasn't a wartime emphasis, so it was very much like a, a society thing to do. Right, right. Join the military, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's of, of some esteem, and and you just sort of lead that career as a, as part of the officer class. And I don't know enough about uh, British society. I, I've experienced some of it, but I, I would say that he was sort of upper middle class, and that was just something that you did. You know, you went to you went to boarding school, and then. And then you 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 became a commissioned officer, and you and you were sent wherever they sent you. So with him with him being like a he has a bit of like a swashbuckling you know very educated side, but also I think mm-hmm. as origins um, unwinds and and expands, you start to see more of the militaristic grit come out. Did you base um, any of that characterization on like any kind of classic? Uh, English film or literature. Like, I only say that because I grew up on, like, the Hardy Boys or the Famous Five or the Battle of Britain, you know, Bridge mm-hmm. of the River Kwai, A Bridge Too Far, like, all these sure. war movies. And, like, like I said earlier, when I saw your character, it just felt right. Like, I thought you did a pitch-perfect um, depiction of someone who was plucked right out of that very uh, classic era. So was there anything in specific that the show uh, producers or Mercedes or you pulled upon for the character of Beale? I think plucked is a good word because I think he's very plucky. I think that's his, <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a big part of his character. And I think, to be honest, a lot of it was just how, how well he was written. Really? Oh, cool. It was that clear. It jumps out at you and you don't even have to do that much work. That's the best part of, of being an actor when you're given a really good script and a, and a character that stands out. So when I read him, I just knew. And obviously there's you know there's training and, and whatnot that goes into figuring out certain things. But I just had a an instinctual connection with him. And I think in terms of any influences, I actually looked at a lot of, from what I could get my hands on, World War II footage oh, of, cool. of guys uh, in Egypt, like around El Alamein, particularly in the desert campaigns against Rommel. And I, and, and it's funny because the footage is, you, you know, it's not, maybe it's sped up 
there's a certain a certain energy to it that m- makes it seem like it's maybe more optimistic than it is or but you know I just wanted to see how and I I look at like how, what do these guys look like and how do they behave and I think there is a there is an optimism and a naivete for Beal but I think there's an optimism when you when you see these guys and they, you hear about the horrible things that they went through in combat but then you see these pictures and they're all just you know these these little handheld videos and they're waving at each other and and joking around and you know on their tanks <laughs> right yeah ready to go into battle so i think he that i pulled a lot from there and certainly those movies the bridge on the river kwai the longest day yeah um i saw those as a kid i loved more movies um Same here. and i felt there's because there's also a, a decision you have to make as an actor as to the genre that you're working in Right. So there has to be a stylistic and a sort of world. I see it in terms of colors and and like sound. You have to get the mood and the pitch. You have to pitch it right. Right. So this isn't Saving Private Ryan, which even though it's an amazing film during the same place, it's not the same thing. This is a very much a different story. And so I also pulled on one of my favorite movies ever is the 1999 Mummy. Oh, which which balance when i read that i thought man this is you know what a gift because that movie like brendan fraser's performance in that really has this mix of of levity and danger sure yeah so i guess i i pull on things that i love you know you always got to put a part of yourself in the characters i guess to find find that negative truth i liked what you said about the optimism because i think that's something that you know, England was known for in the war because they just got their butts kicked and pummeled domestically and in Africa and Dunkirk and Battle of Britain, the bombing of London. And somehow through it all, they kept the best spirit. And I think they had good leadership, maybe as part of their culture. But like, that's something I think they're known for. And that's one of the reasons I liked seeing that, that energy in Beale. Like, you know, even if he's a little fish out of water, you know, going to Abydos or going with the group, like he's the one who has to, you know, maintain that sense of authority and and militaristic discipline and courage. So that's, it's always nice to see, you know, human characters who also find like a lot of strengths in these kinds of adventures. Yeah. And he has to keep his head on. That's the crux of his, of his character. And, and that was the crux of, I think, British philosophy, you know, keep calm, carry on. That's just, you just keep it together because you're getting, you know, you're getting blitzed and your cities are being bombed and you keep going about your business. And then when the, when the, when the sirens go off, you just go underground. Right. It's so proper. And so it's not, you know, they, they limit the emotion to, to what's necessary. They don't freak out. They don't have, you know, they're able to keep some kind of discipline or calm core, which I always respected. Yeah. So uh, let's get into the auditioning for the process and getting involved with Stargate Origins. Did you, um, w- was Ellie already on board as Catherine Langford and did you do chemistry reads with her or did you guys audition, uh, audition separately? Can you just walk us through what that process was like that led up to you getting cast? Sure. Uh, I think this, this was um, maybe September that I got a request for a self-tape for a codenamed project, sort of gave this breakdown to this British officer, and I actually didn't even have sides for the from the film. Uh, I had to, I, I was given some sides from another film to do this character, to, to sort of do what I would do with the character, given his description, and then, because um, I didn't want to release any information, obviously. So I, I sent in the self-tape, and I thought nothing of it, because you, you never can, right? right? You have to just do it and forget about it. And I had moved to L.A. permanently, you know, from London right after training uh, in, in, in like May. Um, and then I got this and I said, I'm going to leave for one for three days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave. I can do it. I can afford it. You know, I can I can afford to leave for three days. And 
I'm at this wedding and like the wedding celebrations are happening and and my manager calls and says, you got to come back. You, <laughs> you have a recall for to be, you know, for the show. And I was like, OK, so I, I got another flight and left early, came back to L.A. Yeah. And then and then they gave me actual sides from or, the, from the actual origin script, from the actual origin script. And I knew immediately that it was Stargate. <laughs> I had a funny I had this funny interchange with Mercedes because because we were, you know, doing this um, this bit. Uh, the, the, my audition scene was the bit uh, when we first when we go through the gate. And Kat's like, you know, look at it. And I'm, Beale's like, I, I am looking at it. <laughs> right. I see it. And, uh, and, I, and I asked Mercedes a question. I think I said, so, so when we're, you know, about to go through the sort of Stargate portal thing. And she, and she goes, <laughs> she's like, wait. We had this sort of moment where we both looked at each other. And I was like, oh, oh, it is Stargate, isn't it? <laughs> you were testing her, right? You were seeing if yeah, she was, would notice. I was testing her. The next day I had a, a chemistry read with some other actors Ellie was not there, and then I found out like a week, a few days later, no, a week later that I that I that I got Beale, and only on the on the day of rehearsals did I did I meet Ellie. Okay, interesting. First, we had a day of rehearsals like a few days before shooting, and she walked in to the rehearsal space, and I <laughs> I said something stupid like, "Oh, are you the production team?" And she's like, "No, I'm I'm playing Captain Langford." <laughs> and I thought, "Of course you are, <laughs> idiot." <laughs> Everyone has that experience on set where they ask the star, like, oh, are you like the stunt team or something? I've done that too. It's terrible. I know the feeling. <laughs> but I, but we had no idea, right? I had no idea sure. of, of anyone else who was involved and who got it, um, which was neat. That was a cool part of it. But uh, yeah, that was, strangely enough, that was, the, that was the coolest audition sort of experience that I'd had. Did um? It sounds like you you're actually kind of familiar with Stargate before this audition. Had you seen like SG One or the TV shows or the movie? Did you watch it growing up? Uh, did you have any like personal experiences with the the shows before then? I was a huge fan of the film. Okay. The, um, the 1994 film. Right. Yeah. The thing that started um, it all. Started it all, man. And I I saw it when I was really young, and my my friend had it on. VHS or something. VHS, yeah, the things that we now put in museums. <laughs> it's right. so long ago, right? Smithsonian. Um, but I, I watched it there, and I loved it, man. Because it was because I loved history from from you know being a very young kid. I I adored ancient history, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, ancient you know just classical history. And when they had this thing, like, you know, combining aliens with ancient Egypt, with with soldiers and portals and I mean, I just, you know, I geeked out completely. Um, and that always stuck. And and I think, to be honest, the reason I missed the show was I was living overseas. Oh, wow. For, for a lot of that. And I was moving around a lot anyway. And so I never kind of got access to it. I knew it. I knew it was happening. And I think I saw a few episodes of, of SG-1 and maybe of Atlantis. Right. But, but for me, the thing that always stuck in my mind is just watching the film as a kid and that was a you know that was around i know that time when there's a lot of those you know the late 90s sure yeah movies with this like the independence day i think that was kind of when yeah independence day was i think 96 and stargate was 94 so uh roland emmerich did those two pretty close together and they were both just titanic hits yeah i think i think i saw them all kind of in the maybe it was like the early 2000s i kind of found them all Right, and then I sort of watched them all. 
And it was definitely much harder to find content back then because we didn't have Netflix or iTunes or on-demand streaming. Like it was very much like it was either airing if you were you know overseas, you had to find it on a cable channel or you had to search out the VHS or at some point the DVDs. But it's it's back then it was very very easy to miss something that came out because of the uh, lack of extensive distribution that we have today. Right. Right. So, so it's certainly on my list now. Right. <laughs> now that you've been in Stargate. <laughs> yeah, now that I've been in it, I should probably watch the, the series. But, but I think I, I do have such fond memories of that because I didn't understand. It, was, it blew my mind, right, this film, uh, because it was nothing uh, unlike anything I'd really seen before because of the genre combinations. I mean, I thought it was really weird. You know, there's some weird stuff like with Raw speaking in this, in this voice and this this really like, I think I said it in my interview with Kira. You know, this really like it was operatic. It was like Wagner, right? This the scale of it and the it was just audacious and bold and like we are gonna do this. We're gonna have you know a cosmic ancient Egyptian demigod come down. I mean, it was just it was great. Yeah, I loved it. I think the. The Goa world are always into operatics and into this opulent display of power and control. I mean, that's just part of what gets explored in the movie as well as in the TV show with the system lords. Uh, and that's what connected with me as well. I just thought it was, it felt right, you know? It felt so connected mm-hmm. to our heritage as a planet and even the here and now with like the modern day militaries. So, yeah, I was the same way. Like what you described was exactly the same for me with uh, Atlantis and with SG1 when. It was the mm-hmm. early 2000s as well. So once you uh, got cast in Origins, you got to read the whole script. You must have been really excited, being a fan of the original movie, at how much Origins specifically relates to the original movie and has a lot of callbacks and connections. What was that like to read the whole script in its entirety? I read it the moment I got it. The whole thing, twice through, just back to back. We, I, you know, I can't even remember if we knew how much it connected to the film, but I knew that it was um, talking about Catherine Langford, right, and and that that amazing prologue from the from the initial film. Certainly, right. I mean, that's that leads in straight to origins. Like they they tack that on. It kind of gives you a bit of context about what young Catherine Langford did at the at the dig in Giza. Right, and I and obviously, you know, as a fan, I was freaking out. <laughs> you know, I was absolutely losing my mind. I remember calling my my parents and just saying, "Saying you're, you're never gonna believe this." It was it was really neat to be able to to read that script from beginning to end, having the knowledge that I did of the film and knowing where it fit in, and and I really just immersed myself in that time period from like that moment. I had a lot of other obviously commitments that I had to deal with it but i said you know what I- i'm actually just gonna really enjoy this that's good this this new story this that that takes place in a universe that i'm that i love very much and i you know i downloaded it because i remember that i remember that the score was amazing so i i i went and found it on youtube because i couldn't even find it to buy it anywhere um and so i just listened to that and i just and it had this incredible magic it just it was beautiful it captured all these things this sort of this sort of space opera with with you know the, the sort of common musical themes that we understand that we have from from Egypt, you know films about Egypt you know the sort of Lawrence of Arabia um, those those very n- noticeable scales right right uh, yeah the certain tonalities or chord progressions 
or like leads. It kind of, I think like a, a good theme can define a franchise like, you know, like Star Trek or Star Wars or, or some other, or even Jurassic, like John Williams is the master of, of doing those themes. But some other franchises like Stargate get a little overlooked for their music and it sets the tone. And I mean, it gives the film or the TV show that kind of feeling like Joel Goldsmith, who's the son of Jerry Goldsmith, another legendary composer did all the TV shows and he did a great Mm. job with the themes and a lot of the, of the recurring music. Um, Like you said, I love your approach because like Stargate is more than just like the mythology or the images. It's about like the adventure, the friendships. It's about the the visuals. It's, it's about a lot of things. And so it's, it's cool that you kind of had a holistic approach to it. It was, it was very holistic and it was born out of a gratitude one for MGM being, you know, making the choice to do this. Right. And knowing how much – you don't realize how much something affects you, I think, until maybe you – sometimes later in life, you're, after 10 years, you think, my my goodness, I've I've been so inspired by this thing. And you might forget the source of it. Sure, yeah. Until you revisit it again and you think that you know no one – because I loved science fiction as well, Dune and uh, Star Wars, obviously. Yeah. And so when you see how, how brilliantly they combined all those things into something that – they, they, I mean, they pulled it off. The, the, the chance to immerse myself in that so early in my career, I feel, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit spoiled now. <laughs> so so I, I, there wasn't a moment that went by that I wasn't very aware of, of the privilege and the gift it was to be, to act it out. Something that I, you know, would play around in, as, in my house, you know, as a yeah. kid, running around with my blaster or whatever, you know, <laughs> fighting whoever the alien of the day was. It's a way for, for grownups to kind of capture their inner, uh, inner child and make pretend again like I used to as a adolescent, which is what I've had. And that's what's so cool. I think that's what everyone wants to go into filmmaking because, you know, they have this dream, like all the things you watched when you're young, you want it to be real. You actually want to visit other planets and like to act in Stargate or act in Star Wars. Like that is as close as you can get as an adult to actually going on these wild adventures. In terms of the actual origin set, I wanted to ask, what was it like to work with Mercedes and what was her directing style like, especially when it came to you and Catherine and you and Wasif, um, I've heard a lot of interesting things and good things about her as like a character director and the choices she made. So can you just talk a bit about that dynamic you cultivated of the characters? Sure. Um, Mercedes was so supportive of our work as actors. She said from the very beginning that, that she really wanted to help us and facilitate in, in any way possible us delivering the best performances that we could from, you know, answering any questions from you know, big level stuff to the most mundane kind of things. Um, really helped us focus on the very beginning on the relationship between Catherine Beale and, and Wasif. And then, and then that, that being a sort of core element and then how that grew as they went on their adventure together. But I think that, that you know, forming that was, was a real joy to build on what was already there in the script. Um, and, and she was always very open to, to interpretation, improvisation, it was just – I felt so, – I can't tell you how, how safe and supported I felt on that set. That's really good because I think it can get very stressful to work on bigger projects and, and realize what's ahead of you. But like I think all the people, the directors who I followed, they say like you just got to focus on what makes this scene work in the moment. You know, It's not about all the lights or the, the operatics of it. It's about like the characters and, and the performance and having an honest connection, I think. Of course. 
and she 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 fostered that that was an attitude that was just top down and it also helped that everyone else involved was incredible as well at the end of the day it's about serving the story and and the story the beautiful thing about making films is that every film that's made is a miracle it shouldn't happen and most films do fall apart and so before they even get made so everyone knew had an incredible investment and and commitment and love for the for the project and so what you're seeing on film is not only the result of things that were planned, but many things that were unplanned and improvisation. And, and that, in a sense, is, is a great sort of meta-narrative or ne- uh, metaphor. Meta, I was going to say meta-metaphor, but that's like, <laughs> that, same thing, Philip. Um, but that's what happens on these, these space adventures, right? If everything went to plan, what's the point? Did you guys have any instances like that where it's like, some kind of problem came up that, or some you you uh, had a moment that just took a sharp left turn from the script for the better. I remember one uh, the the scene that always sticks out to me was was there's a the scene that we shot in the desert where the group is kind of breaking off. So Catherine is going off with Kasuf and and I'm going off with um, with Wasif back to the the village right and sort of sunsetting. And because of you know the scheduling and the environment and and just the shooting schedule, we got to that point and we had time for one take for for that. We had some we had minutes, you know, to, to nail this elaborate. I mean, it was a complicated scene. There was a lot going on. Um, but for this last take that we had, I mean, we just we did it because the the light was the sun was setting and we got it and it was just it was beautiful. You're like we we did it. Okay, you know, let's let's move on. But there were so many times that I can't even remember of, of people. I mean, I, I think Bonnie Way when <laughs> when Dan Rashid uh, did his, he's like, oh, Bonnie Way. That was, I mean, that's totally him. That's absolutely the brilliance of Dan Rashid and his and his sort of comedic timing. And and just that it's sprinkled with the whole film is just sprinkled with moments of that. And and not just with the actors, but but. Uh, like our director of photography, Nico Aguilar, he right. he would just do things. Man, was an absolute wizard. He yeah, would. He's he would young look too, isn't he? Like twenty three or something. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's 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 incredible. He's he's something. He's one to look out for. Um, he would just move his hand through a shadow or through a a beam of light, you know, and kind of test it out. And he'd go, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." And then, and then this this thing would you know occur on screen, and he'd capture it. And that was, and and then you had and then you had Mercedes would. You know, the the amount of pressure on her was immense, and and she would just do it. She'd just make it happen, and she'd she'd make really excellent, creative leadership choices. Yeah, directing requires creativity as well as being an excellent manager. So it's you know some directors they only have one, not the other. But it's so great to find one that has that ability to stay calm. like I respect it. I don't know how I would be able to stay calm if I was making something like making the next Stargate, having all those things to deal with. You know. It's a lot. <laughs> okay, so I want to uh, just quickly and, and specifically talk a bit about Beale and Catherine um, because they're very different characters from different backgrounds. You know, Catherine's upbringing is obviously very different than Beale's from what we talked about earlier. And, and you know, they do have this interesting feisty dynamic, but there's also quite a bit of romance in it. How did you, like, approach that? I think what's neat about Catherine and Beale's relationship is that this adventure takes place so soon after they meet and it's a kind of pressure that would put even the most you know long-term tried and tested 
couples to the to the test. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what's happening is that they're discovering things about themselves and about each other under very high stakes. You're faced with an intergalactic portal, right, and whether or not to go through, and and all the kind of things. So so these things are being you know they're, they're being faced with themselves and and these choices that they never thought they'd have to make. Um, but I think also Ellie and I have a great friendship and a really good uh, rapport. So it was easy to to be able to play because, like you said, both both Beale and Catherine are very intelligent and very strong-willed and seek adventure, perhaps with different strategies. But the the writing obviously su- supported that as well. And there was just that it's fun, you know. These they're, they're having fun too, right? There it was, it was never spite, you know. It was never spiteful or or um, you know mean spirited, but it was just a sense of these these are sort of young kids who are really sure <laughs> doing their best you know yeah they definitely took turns to play with each other that's one thing i noticed like the first episode she's very much like the very you know where we start in the in the warehouse she's very much you know playing with you a little bit even when her father's around and then you know as we get to abados the tables might turn it's fun you know it has it has that kind of spark which i really liked in terms of the end um beale's fate spoiler alert obviously do you think um do you do you think he changes at all because he very much sacrifices his life for mm-hmm. her and is that is that just out of a sense of duty like you know British officer's duty or is that something where you think he kind of developed a love for her and it was more about the romanticism of it I think it's I think it's love Okay cool I think I think people I think when people are faced with those kinds of decisions someone that they love is in danger. It's just automatic. Right. And he had the training obviously to do these things. And, and his, I think his, his mind got in the way a lot of times of being as valiant, maybe as he wanted to be or thought he had the ability to be. But towards the end when, you know, that they have to get home and that the, the adventure is sort of reaching its climax. Um, he's not, he's acting out of a place of instinct. It's like a human evolutionary instinct to protect what you love and protect those around you, right? It's it's the greatest adventure of his life, certainly. And and it and it demands and that's the thing is these these experiences change you. And and some people have the opportunity to to learn from them and to continue living their life and say, "Wow, that was great." And then for some other people like Beale, he it was just his time. Yeah, it wasn't a sense where he's like, oh, this is me making this choice to save her life and sacrifice. You know, he just said, we got to get you through. Right. And, and something happened to her, you know, her and, and, and dad. He, he, he didn't know something. something oh, when she weird. was brain or she was essentially had her memory wiped by a set. Right. And she's kind of in this right. trance where you find her the very last episode. Yeah. And and so he finds her and he's 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 sort of accomplished all the things and. And then he gets her through, and he fully expects that he's going to make it too, but he doesn't. So I was I interviewed Mark Ilvitson, the writer, recently, and he actually said – I'm not even sure if you're aware of this. He said there was originally an alternate fate for Beale where Beale made it through the gate and had like a Humphrey Bogart-type ending where – he didn't have his memory wiped, so he had to keep shut about that experience and stay away from Catherine. 
So Catherine doesn't remember him. And he, like, as we kind of talked about, he falls for Catherine, but he has to walk the other way for the greater good because he Mm -hmm. can't bring that through. Did you, was that alternate ending discussed? Did you play a part in how the final fate of the character was crafted at all? Uh, That was the original ending in the script that I got. Oh, okay. Cast. Um, That doesn't mean that there, there weren't other versions floating around sort of in the writer's room. Um, but it was, it was, yeah, it was this, this thing where Beale understood that he was essentially erased from this, this journey. And he just left. He just, you know, and that was, that was heartbreaking in a different way. I think when I was told later through the shooting process that he was going to die, it, it felt better to me. Because that's hard too. It's, it'd be harder for, you know, as a character to, yeah, I think I just it just from a story standpoint, I think, and and also a character standpoint, it was it was the best, it was the best way. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet for sure. I think a lot of people have bittersweet endings, like Kasuf or Wasif. Um, you know, they they might even survive, but it's not exactly a, a happy ending where everything is resolved. But it does add to a sense of danger. Like I think. It, it it tugs at your heartstrings, but in a way that you said, it's right. You know, it's it's not everyone can survive these kinds of things. Otherwise, it's not realistic anymore. Right. No one can. And I think his and the editing that was done and the the way that the his his um the last thing he saw was was Catherine kind of fading into you know nothing. That was whew, that, I mean that hit me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was it's it's tragic, but it's if he could choose, that's that's how he'd go anyway. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Philip. I really appreciate you sitting down and and examining this character of Beale. He was one of my favorites. I thought he, you know, his adventurous spirit really helped define the kind of the tone of uh, of Stargate Origins and and that real chemistry between the three leads. Um, what's what's next for you going forward? Uh, do you have any projects or anything you can tease for us? Any maybe any adventures besides acting you're interested in that you can share with us? Sure, um, I've been in um, been working on several projects um, and several films. A few of which are being submitted to festivals uh, at the moment, so I can't unfortunately disclose what they are. But they're I'll be happy to I'll be posting about them on on social media when I can. And um, the, the the great thing about working on a project like Stargate is is that I just got to meet so many wonderful creatives and and I've maintained friendships with with many of them and so it's as an actor it's an incredibly rewarding experience but it's also just it enriches enriches my life to to be able to leave with with friends and and inspiring people so so I've just yeah I've been inspired to continue and and grow and I'm just really grateful to to have been a part of it. Well, it's good to have you as part of the family. I know it can be a little intimidating sometimes. <laughs> I mean, Stargate fans can be a little possessive, and but it's because they care. And at the end of the day, like you, everyone does get ushered into the family. And however dysfunctional, it is a really great environment. And that's something you have with you for your whole life. That's part of like your your career legacy because it is Stargate is such a big and and almost religious experience for a lot of fans. So thank you so much for, for sharing time with us and we absolutely wish you the best of luck in your future career. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.